The following is a For Vengeance Media production. we love is undergoing a shift. What a beauty! Borders are breaking down. Some might say disappearing. Huge goal. And the freedom to choose is gaining momentum. Through it all, players are better than ever at all levels. From youth hockey to the best junior leagues and the highest level, the game is reaching new heights. Presented by Four Vengeance Media. This is Game Changers, the home of hockey. On Silent Ice TV. Welcome to Game Changers, home of hockey, episode number 11, and another week of hockey, more terrific action we were able to watch live at the Silent Ice Center with the Challenge Cup. It involved four different leagues from four different provinces, the HPL from BC, the Hockey Super League here in Alberta, and and also bleeds into uh, Saskatchewan, the KSL Ontario and the KSL Quebec uh, took part. And man, it was awesome. We broadcast the games on Sunday for the Challenge Cup final. We had our own Brandon Ewan Cheshire out on the ice in the white rabbit suit. Uh, so check it out, silenticetv.com, exactly where you're watching this. If you're listening to this show on any all the major podcast networks. You can check it out at silenticetv.com. You can also see the Challenge Cup games uh, over the weekend. So cool to see the uh, seven and eight-year-olds checking themselves out on the uh, the big video board as well. And that is just the tip of the silent iceberg uh, when it comes to the Silent Ice Center. The Spruce Grove Saints will play there on the 28th. That's a week from when I am recording this. The 28th of November the Winter Championship, and who knows what else. Maybe, maybe Harry and Megan will show up at the Silent Ice Center and drop the puck or something like that. Maybe for the Winter Championship. They would love it because there is not a bad seat in the house. And we have a terrific guest lineup for you today as we dive in to the women's game a little bit with two-time gold medalist, Cheryl Pounder, now an ace analyst for TSN, has also covered some Olympics of which she knows how to win. So we're going to talk to her in our Pawn to the Pros segment a lot about how the women's game is growing and where it's going. And there are some superstars on the way. Chris Versteeg won two Stanley Cups with Chicago, now has the Clever Super League going. They were in town for the Challenge Cup. And Chad Homan. Uh, is the Director of Sales and Marketing with us at Silent Ice uh, Sports and Entertainment. And man, uh, they have hit it out of a cannon 
uh, when it comes to all the stuff going on uh, at that Silent Ice Center and the sponsorship and everything else that we have going. So looking forward to bringing that conversation to you uh, from Chad as well. But let's get into it. Our first guest is Chris Versteeg, who, of course, won two Stanley Cups, but he was in town over the weekend and he was there checking out the Challenge Cup with his clever Super League. We will bring you Chris Versteeg right now here on Game Changers. Chris, thanks very much for joining us on uh, Game Changers. Uh, let's just start with what your first impression this past weekend was of the Silent Ice Center when you walked in and, and got to experience the arena and the building. Yeah, it's state of the art. It's uh, it's pretty wild when you walk in there and you realize that U7, U8, and U9 hockey players are able to play in a facility like that, um, especially one that links video uh, to a jumbotron, music in between periods, music in between games, um, and just that entire atmosphere that that type of facility lets you um, have. It's it's an incredible experience that the, the players get to have, but in in the end, that facility gives you access to have those experiences, and it's it's state of the art. And and this is from a guy who played in state of the art buildings in the NHL. Yeah. This is a little bit of a minier version, but still has all the bells and whistles. It's better than most. It's better most than if not all junior buildings I've seen. Yeah, and and even the seating. The way I like the seating because it's right on top of the ice, good sight lines, especially in their bear bowl. It's uh, mm. really neat. And then you get those boxes as well. Um, yeah, I, I mean it's better than a lot of junior buildings I've ever played in. Well, and even NHL, uh, NHL buildings. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's an arena in Phoenix that isn't that much bigger than the Silent Ice Center, right? I mean, that Mullet yeah. Arena is only 5,000 seats. Yeah, what was the final seating of Silent Ice? Uh, I, I think it's, uh, I've been told 1,600, uh, maybe in the bowl, but obviously uh, you can you can fit a lot more people. There's even seats up in the restaurant, and, and I could even be wrong on the, the lower bowl seating, but... You know, I, I think we've got a Saints game in there on the 28th, the Junior A game, and it's going to be wild to see how how packed it will be. And then our Winter Championship and Future Challenge Cups, uh, uh, yeah. we could see packed fans in there as well. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, just even to see the 2016 game and the 2015 and all the people that come to support it who are around the event. Um, yeah, I couldn't imagine if that place was bumping. It'd be pretty fun. No doubt. Well, you were there uh, with the uh, Clever Super League Kings. Uh, we also had the uh, Clever Super League, uh, the KSL Quebec there as well. Let's just start with that and, and tell us a little bit about the uh, the KSL and, and how it started. So three years ago, we were doing minor hockey and we just felt that some of the kids needed a little bit more. So we decided to go our own way. We started to develop 10 kids roughly in the Whitby area. I'm also from Alberta, so uh, I'm not, I'm starting to become better with the geography of Ontario, but um, we were in the Whitby area developing 10 kids. There was another guy named Jamie Stone doing the same thing in the Kawarthas, so about 45 minutes to an hour away from us. And we both left minor hockey at that time with a U7 age groups. He had a U8, U7 mix, and we just started playing. And so we were the first guys to kind of do it out this way there is also a league the orhl that has done this for about 10 years out this way it's just the 
the level of play is a few um, tiers down, uh, definitely a few tiers down, but they still do a great job at what they do. It's just more for, I would say, tier three, tier four level hockey. Um, but we had tier one level hockey players, elite, triple A, kind of in that age, high double A level. So people around started to see about three hours ago what we were doing. They started to do the same thing. Um, I also have a 2016 son. So naturally, I started to do it with the, the that age group as well. And as we started to um, go over the last two years, so last year being the first 22-23 season, we did a unofficial clever super league, I guess, year. It was, it was a clever network year where we had 20 teams in the 2014, or we had eight teams in the 2014 age group, three or four or four or five, sorry, in the 2015. And then a couple in the 2016 age group, we'd get together on the weekends, play games, go back to our development. Obviously always knowing that the HSL and HPL have been thriving over the last, you know, four or five, six years. Uh, we started to look at their models, models in the U.S., and really what we wanted the Clever Super League to be coming into our first year, official year, 23-24. So it was a process from day one, you know, year one to year three. Again, this is our first official year. We have 51 teams across Ontario, or 50 teams across Ontario and one team in Buffalo. Um, and that Buffalo team plays in our Tier 1 2015 loop. So again, roughly elite AAA level hockey players. And uh, it's it it obviously could be a lot bigger. There's a lot of other teams I want to get in, but we've you know you're, we're starting where we can, especially with infrastructure and trying to make sure that everything's done correctly. But yeah, going back to our first, I guess, real look at this would have been 22, 23 when we had 20 teams. Uh, we we're traveling to the states for tournaments. We're traveling, you know, we also hosted a couple tournaments: one at Christmas, one at the year end in 23. And it, you know, people seemed to love it and they wanted more. So that's why it made, it made way for the 23, 24 season to actually happen with the 50 teams we got. Well, and I think uh, expanding and, and growing responsibly um, is, is on the organization. I think you guys are doing that right. We're seeing that uh, in the JPHL. We've seen that in, in the HSL. You can let everybody in at the start, but you might not be doing it right. So I think that's responsible. Uh, yeah, we want to call it. Quality is what we want. So right. that's a big thing. We want quality uh, people involved, teams, and yeah, you're right. It's, you could let so many more, and it's it's hard because you also you know you also want to make sure your events run smoothly and make sure it's done right. So yeah, the quality is a big thing. So what was it like to be able to compete in the Challenge Cup? And you, you kind of said you guys had an eye on what was happening out west. You're originally from uh, out west in the Lethbridge area. So to be able to compete, to be able to travel uh, for the kids, uh, just, you know, from, from the kids' reaction to uh, the organizers and the coaches and the parents, what was it like to be able to come out west and compete? It was awesome. It was everything that we wanted competition that was one thing so i was really happy that our players and our teams did really well in the challenge cup just to show that hey we are developing really good hockey players out here um we're putting a lot of effort into making sure that they're at the level of these hpl and hsl uh top teams and and we were happy with the way we competed and we're also happy with the way that all these teams let us be a part of the atmosphere you know whether it was the hpl teams the hsl teams they were just happy to see us there, happy to see us show up and play against us. And it also gives them a bit different of a flavor of, hey, there is other good players around the world, around Canada. 
not just in your local areas. And it's also eye-opening for our parents and players. Hey, your kid might be good here, but he's not the best around, or maybe he's not, you know, the best everywhere because there's great players in Western Canada. There's great players in Quebec. And I think it is a very big eye-opening process for every league just to show that there's very, very good hockey players across the country. And there's also a lot that weren't able to attend, but that's a big eye-opening process for the parents and players and families and coaches. Yeah, just testing yourself against unknown competition is is always great, whether it's the first time you're playing an international opponent or an inter uh, a different provincial opponent. I think it's great. And and I'm just, you know, we, we're privileged. We get to broadcast these games and have so much fun, and we broadcast the JPHL and uh, some select HSL games as well. And I, I, I marvel at the skill at these kids. I mean, you know, I, I grew up playing minor hockey in Manitoba in the 80s, and, you know, Marty Murray was the best player that that we ever saw at at that age group and unfortunately never had the NHL career but it seems like half the teams have these Marty Murray type kids with terrific skill they're not afraid why do you think kids are so much better in the skill department than we used to be well there's there's multiple reasons first off it's technology number one number two it's time on ice so uh I remember Till I was about nine years old, I only got two days on the ice. I'd have one practice, one game in novice, uh, pre-novice, novice. So when you're eight, when you go to Adam, that would have been roughly 10, 11 in Alberta in those days. Uh, that's where you used to get on the ice three days a week. And you'd only stay on the ice three days a week until the end of Pee Wee. And then when you get to Bantam, then you'd get your three to four days a week. These kids are on the ice four, five, six, seven days a week already at six, seven, eight. I'm not a big believer in being on the ice six, seven days a week at U7, U8, U9. Uh, Our program offers four days a week. Each day is a specific, it has something different. So that's what the KSL mandates is minimum three hours a week. But um, some kids obviously do more and extra training on top of that. So I think what you see is time on ice, hours on ice. And also if you're capturing a bigger pool of athletes, more kids that can play, that always helps bring better athletes into your into your sport. Uh, I always like to say to everyone, you know, you, you can't put Einstein in an octagon. So at the end of the day, you have to find the athletes. You have to find the players that want to do it. Um, there still needs to be better efforts into finding athletes who can now afford it because hockey is becoming a little inex- – it is becoming inaccessible like every other sport. So anyone who tells me soccer is accessible is lying. Soccer is not accessible anymore. Um, but that's how you can even broaden the pool more to find more athletes. But again, more kids are playing now, um, more access to ice, better technology. And I think that's why you see these kids can do what they can do at this age now. Is it a tough balance when you're, you know, you're obviously, we, we talk a lot about, we don't want to pound out the skill in, in kids in hockey, but you also you don't want to encourage individual play. You have to have individual skill, but play as a team to have success. Mm-hmm. I mean, you played with some of the most skilled players uh, ever in the game, but they also came together as a team to win a Stanley Cup. So we want to encourage the individual skill, and we don't want to make everybody a robot, but we also want to bring in that team atmosphere. Is there a balance uh, as coaches at that young age? There is a balance, and that's why I think it's important to be with the right coaches or the right program that are balancing skill, hockey IQ, compete, and all those things. Because 
being a great hockey player isn't being, being able just to toe drag a pylon. You know, I go to some practices and you see 10 pylons on the ice and the kids are doing the same programming route. And then they wonder why they don't get better because they're doing these routes at half speed. So um, being a part of a good program with coaches that have um, an understanding that they're not always the best at everything. So I'm not a great skater, so I hire a skating coach, you know, and you have to have a lot of coaches and programs that understand that. But you're right. Hockey IQ is still the biggest piece of the game. Uh, even I believe still bigger than skating because you can still see some guys in the NHL. They're not great skaters, Joe Pavelski and all this. They're not the quickest. But the IQ lets them play in a game where the game is fast. Now, yes, skating is the most next most important thing to me. Um, if you're looking at that, and I still at times put compete above skating. I'd rather have a kid that might not be as swift on his edges, but he's willing to be a dog and get the puck, and he's got hockey IQ. So it's, it's something that you have to be able to program and start to teach these kids. So if you have a player that's better with hockey IQ and he's a dog, then he needs a little more time with skating. So it's basically taking those players, strengthening their strengths, and then strengthening their weaknesses at the same time. But you definitely need program directors and people that understand what each kid needs in order to get better and where they maybe need to, more, maybe need to spend more time on. Yeah, I think skating is the most teachable um, and the most correctable. I'm, you know, junior players that I've seen that I thought, ah, I'm not sure if this guy's going to be able to make it, even at the AHL, and they improve their skating. Uh, but it's hard to teach hockey IQ. You can teach um, where players should go, but it's hard to teach uh, intuition and things like that. That's yeah. just almost a little bit of a given. And 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 you said that you know mentioned the numbers are growing. The numbers are growing in independent hockey like crazy out west. Uh, I know out east, in, in, out east rather, in the United States. I mean, we've seen the BCHL go an independent route. Do you think we're just kind of seeing the tip of the iceberg on this? I know we're involved in it, uh, inside it, but and I talked to a lot of outsiders, and they think that this is starting to, to just the start of a wave. What do you think? Well, back to the numbers for hockey. You hear some people say, "Oh, numbers are down." because independent hockey players aren't counted towards the totals of USA Hockey and Hockey Canada. So if you actually look at the independent hockey across the world now, and you add those totals, hockey numbers are actually going up. Um, now, I, I would like to see them go up more like everyone else would. Again, I think the inaccessibility of price is always an issue or barrier of entry. But if you look at independent across the U.S., uh, especially at the younger levels, the U7, U8, U9, and how all these players, uh, especially for the last five, six years in the U.S., they definitely do a lot of independent private development until U10, and then they go back to their centers. So they'll go back to Hockey USA at U9, they or 9U, they call it, we call it U10. So these players are developing, they're getting better, and then they are ready for AAA, essentially. Um, that's what we're doing. You know, more in the KSL level, we're just developing the U7, U8, U9. And we are getting these players ready, you know, whenever they're ready to go back. So last year, my program had 27 players in it at the U9 level. All 27 made uh, AAA level hockey in their local areas. And that doesn't even include the other 20 team or the other eight teams. I think it was like 98% of the players that did K, you know, the first ever unofficial clever league, 98%, 99% made triple A hockey. It's pretty crazy. So it shows you that these players are being developed at a young age and it's starting to happen across the world. It's been happening in the HSL for a long time, uh, the H HPL for a few years now, and then you start to see JPHL pop up 
more academy style, obviously, with a great idea on how to make it more affordable than other academies. And then you have uh, the junior league, the BCHL, that's basically got no boundaries now, and it gives them access to get players to NCAA still. So I think, you know, the way I look at it is it, it can go one way. I mean, it's three ways. It can go down, stay, or grow. I think, you know, independent hockey is growing, especially at the younger age groups, the U7, U8, U9, because of uh, multiple reasons. But um, the junior one is very interesting to me because I could see that league being very, 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 very strong here relatively soon and sending most like most likely is it is, is the USHL or is the BCHL the most sent? Um, it's probably pretty close, uh, between the two, the USHL has that hockey USA program that kind of boosts the, the, the numbers a little bit. Yeah, so I look at the BCHL, like if, if it goes the way it could and it should, I mean, it could be arguably like their top teams could be as good as a WHL team, if not better, just because they're grabbing more players and they still have access to turn pro or go NCAA. So if the league's stronger and it's giving you more access without hindering your eligibility, then I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious what you might want to do. So it is, it is interesting. I mean, I can't answer what I think is going to happen. I can always, I feel is going to happen. I can always think, you know, I think it is growing. Um, but yeah. And, and people like the HSL, HPL, and all the guys and women putting time into it to make these kids better and give them access to hockey, high-end training, high-end development, just like the KSL and KSL Quebec. Uh, I think you'll start to see, you you know, especially at the U7, U8, U9 level, it grow more. Yeah, I, I you know, I th- and I think we're, we're all being patient with it and, and making sure that it, uh, it goes uh, responsibly as we talked about before. Now, have to talk about some cool moments in your career. Obviously, two Stanley Cups. Uh, you scored the very first goal at the outdoor game in Wrigley Field. I mean, that is a moment that has to stand out in your career, is it not? I remember before the game, they're like, who's going to score it? Zetterberg, Datsu, Chelios, um, Kane, Taze, Hosa, you know, uh, Havlat. And then it's like, Chris Versteeg. Who's this guy? How did he score the first ever goal at a, at a baseball field? It was, it was unbelievable. I know my mom and uh, all my family there, everyone, they said they were freezing because of the, the wind coming off the lake that day and it was cold and a little snowy. Not It wasn't snowing a lot, just sprinkling a bit, but it was cold because of that wind. And they were miserable. When, when I scored, they were happy. I didn't really notice it because I'd go sit back on the heater every time i get off right. the ice. But the moment that puck went in, especially the first goal, it was, you know, I still remember Havlat coming down the wing, took the slap shot, puck popped out, and I just banged it in. I'm like, oh, I think I scored the first goal. Uh, I know Buff went skating by, and I didn't know if it hit his skate and went in. It was close. And then during the intermission, he's like, I hit my skate, hit my skate. And, yeah, I was like, whatever, Buff. It didn't hit your skate. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was an amazing moment. For sure. Uh, winning two Stanley Cups. I, I always love to ask people that win the cup who they're thinking about when they're lifting it. I mean, because that's the ultimate moment. You know, for, for us Canadians, the Stanley Cup is everything. The Olympics has kind of crept in now. But winning the Stanley Cup, 
all the practices, all the coaches that pushed you, all the times your parents drove you to games. I mean, who goes through your mind when you're lifting the ultimate trophy? The first time was, uh, I mean, my mom, number one, everything she did for me, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, you know, without them, we wouldn't have been able to play hockey because we couldn't afford it. So being able to get us skates, get us access to equipment, uh, being able to sign us up and register us. They did everything. They fed us. My mom's mom and dad, they, yeah, they fed us. They drove us to hockey to help my mom. Uh, they did literally everything. So without them, now without my mom and dad, number one and two, but without my grandparents and the access that they gave us, I mean, it would have never happened. My brother would have never played pro for 14 years or had the access to hockey, um, you know, they basically always said if they didn't give us hockey skates, and I know I've said this in a lot of podcasts, uh, we'd be dead or in jail, and it's probably true. So just the the ability that someone stepped up for our family when we needed it, and that for me was the first thought that went through my mind. And then obviously as you go on, I have trainers. My trainer, Trevor Hardy, let me train for free when I was 14, 15, 16, uh, again, because of financial issues, and said, hey, if you ever make it, just pay me back. And that was a guy who took a chance on me too. So I thought of Trevor, um, you know, my aunties, uncles, and then last but not least, my two brothers. They pushed me more than anything, especially my middle brother. Uh, well, Bryce, my youngest brother, he was probably the most talented and he's six foot four, but he quit when he was 12. Hmm. He could have been good and really good, but he quit when he was 12. But my middle brother, Mitch, we played hockey every single day on the road. And he was a WHL or played three years in the WHL, uh, had a good pro career. So me and him every single day battled, fought on the street, literally fought on the street and uh, yeah, made each other better, made each other who we were as hockey yeah. players. I always, th I always think of the ODRs or the street hockey games that really toughen kids up. I know my two brothers are five years older than me, so I was the battering ram that they threw around out there, but it does. I always ask brothers, like I can only imagine what the Hughes family or the Stahl family ODR games must have been like, or the Sutters, uh, when you go back in uh, in the day. Well, yeah, I think about when kids play hockey on the street now, I'm like, they're like, what were your rules? I was like, the grass was full <laughs> contact. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, the grass was part of the game. So you dump the puck out of the ball in the grass and you'd run the guy. You know, it was... Uh, it, it was full court press. So it was the rules we made up ball on grass, full contact. Um, yeah, it, it definitely made you keep your head up and made you tougher. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, it was, it was uh, certainly a different time. Uh, speaking about the times in Chicago where you played and the mega stars that have taken the ice, the court, the field, I mean, the, the hall of famers in hockey, uh, and then you look at Michael Jordan, you look at the Bears teams, you look at the, the, the Cubs and the White Sox. I mean, the legendary stars that are, have played in Chicago. Now there's a new star in number 98. You played with 88, you played with Taze, you played with Host, you played with these guys, these superstars. What is it going to be like for Bedard? And how do you think he makes his mark in that city? Well, following up Kane and Taze and Hosa and Keith and Seabrook on on the star, you know, just being a star wise, he can do it. 
it's where you're going to have to follow up those guys winning wise. So these guys were winners because they were willing to sacrifice as superstars. So if you see Patrick Kane, the best years he had, the years they won the Stanley Cup, he never had more than really a point a game. I think he had 88 points. And then I can't remember, barely a point a game the one year, even the other year. Like he understood it took an entire team to win a Stanley Cup. And that's what Bedard's going to have to learn as he goes on, if he's going to want to be a winner in the city of Chicago, is sacrifices the ultimate thing in order to help you win and having teammates around you that help you because he's a superstar. I think, again, on the star-wise, being able to handle the media, all the pressure and all that, he's been doing it since he's a young kid. I don't think that's a problem for him. It's the winning. If they go three, four years, five years, look at McDavid. If they don't understand sacrifice and actually what it takes to win a Stanley Cup, winning a Stanley Cup compared to winning a junior or a, a Bantam title, it's not even close, right? You're going against grown men who l- literally sacrifice every single day to win a Stanley Cup who will rip your limbs off your body in order to do it. That's what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. And if you don't have the teammates willing to sacrifice or you're not willing to sacrifice as a superstar yourself, you're not going to win a Stanley Cup. So, that's where I'm interested to see how he starts to handle the pressure of a city like Chicago in three, four, five years if that team doesn't turn around and become a, a team that's a championship team like the years with Kane, Taze, Hosa, Sharp, and those guys. Good stuff, my man. Uh, it was great to watch the KSL in Edmonton, uh, and I look forward to more Challenge Cups in the future. And uh, I thank you very much for your time. Congratulations on what you've built out there, and best of luck moving forward. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to the HPL. Thank you to the HSL. Congrats on that incredible facility. Those kids are insanely lucky, and uh, we're very happy to be there. This weekend in the JPHL, we have split showcases once again out in Delta at Planet Ice. All of the regional teams will be in action from BC, from the U14, U15, U-17 and U-18 uh, divisions. Uh, we will also have the same thing going on at Silent Ice Center in Edmonton uh, when it comes to the Alberta regions, U-14, U-15, U-17, and U-18. And of course, you can check out all of the action on Silent Ice TV. There is the schedule already lined up for Friday the 24th of November. SilentIceTV.com is where you can find past episodes of this show. And of course, you can check out past games and much, much more when it comes to the JPHL and uh, any other uh, leagues that we have, whether it's the Morinville Jets, uh, potentially, uh, or uh, it could just be the JPHL and the HSL when it comes to that sort of stuff. All right, as we continue on the show, the Saints, uh, while they are going marching in when it comes to the Silent Ice Center, they will be playing a game on the 28th of November at this beautiful facility. Let's check out with Chad Holman, who is uh, Director Sales and Marketing with Silent Ice Entertainment, about all the details of this contest. 
Chad, thanks very much for joining us here on Game Changers. Uh, I know the excitement has been building uh, for a while since the announcement about the Saints in Sherwood Park at Silent Ice Center. I, I guess it just seems like it was a, a maybe a no-brainer to have the Saints play a game there, was it? Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me. Um, obviously excited. You guys are doing great work on this show, so uh, happy to be here. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, uh, the, the rink is uh, incredible. So for the Saints to get an opportunity to, you know, play in such a world-class facility uh, was, and obviously for sure at Park 2, having them be part of it as a crosstown rivalry made a lot of sense for both fan bases to be able to enjoy the new rink. So it was certainly a no-brainer for, for both teams in the league, I think. Grant View Arena has uh, charm and history. I love uh, I love old buildings. I love character buildings uh, and oh, so many championships there. But there is something that is so exciting about uh, a brand new building. What excites you about the opportunity to pop into Silent Ice Center for a night? Yeah, you're right. The Grand Fear, a lot of history there. You know, we have great fans every night, but. I think from a production and, and game entertainment standpoint is what really excites, you know, someone on my side of the business. You know, we don't have a you know center hung score clock in Spruce Grove. So the ability to do live replays, um, in-house promotions with video, um, there's, there's just so many more options that bring the entertainment level beyond just the game uh, to, to your game presentation so for us from a business side um, it just allows us to have a little bit more fun with our game day uh, and something that we're looking to uh, build off of and do some things that we don't normally get to do so so that's going to be exciting for us and for the fans we had a challenge cup event there this past weekend and the uh, jumbotron was on brandon ewan cheshire was out on the ice and it was just it was so neat to see the fans and the, and the little kids too uh, i don't think the saints and the crusaders will be doing this but so neat for people you know to see themselves on the jumbotron or the video board and then you know give the wave and just just such a unique aspect for spectators and you know the media and and, and like you said everything just such a neat dynamic for the people yeah it's uh it's a game changer you know, pun intended, but uh, no, I mean, and I guarantee you the players will be looking up too because, you know, they don't get to see it. You look in the NHL and they're still doing it. They're watching the replays when they're, you know, in game. So I expect our players to be doing it because, you know, for a lot of them, they probably haven't had much of that as well. So it'll be a new experience for them to see, you know, in-game highlights, you know, of a goal, of a hit, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fan, just the whole experience changes when you get into something like that. Um, again, like I was saying earlier, it just allows our in-game promotion and production to be, you know, really at the pro level, uh, which is something that we're striving to get to. And, and you know, hopefully soon, you know, in Spruce Grove, there might be that opportunity for the Saints as well. But uh, for this game, again, for our group, it's really exciting on a lot of different levels. Obviously, with the Saints being part of the Silent Ice group, um, this is, a, you know, a feather in the cap to, you know, our organization. A lot of people wear different hats uh, in our group. So Silent Ice Center is, is uh, you know, really something that's near and dear to a lot of our hearts and our group. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be a really wonderful event. And we're really excited to be a part of it and, and, and showcase our team and our, and our brand there. 
Yeah, and and you know we're we're looking at a, a a JPHL game, and I can't imagine what that first Saints goal is going to be like in that building. Uh, should be a, a really nice crowd, and you know people should be, uh, I think, and the players, as you mentioned, uh, should be you know excited and and wowed sort of a, a, about this building because this is a beautiful. I like to call it the jewel of the West. It is just such a gorgeous facility um and that you know this is just what we're seeing sort of here on the ice everywhere you turn in this building something will catch your eye won't it yeah it's quite eye-catching you know from even the the sound mufflers are are incredible which is kind of silly to say when you when you think about it but you know um you know dan and bj and and the rest of the group that in the planning eagle builders uh vosh architecture um, they they just thought of everything. Um, it, it's really a special building. Um, it's going to be featured for many many years uh, as part of a you know as you would say a jewel of our brand uh, and our company. And and so to see it come to life and and see people enjoying it, um, that's what it's all about. That's what it's been built for is for for people to enjoy and to make memories in it. And and those kids will remember that game. And the kids that went to that game will be like you know, wow. Um, so just to be able to see that, like you said, the smiling, the laughing, the enjoyment, um, that, that's what it's all about. Hockey brings everyone together. And this is a game that we're hoping is going to bring people together and, and kick off, you know, like the holiday season almost. Yeah, most definitely. There's, uh, you know, uh, as time goes on, there's a beautiful restaurant there. Of course, there's another uh, arena. The dressing rooms are gorgeous. And, you know, we had the Challenge Cup. Uh, we're going to have the Saints on the 28th. We have our JPHL Winter Championship there. Maybe a Stony Plain Eagles game uh, potentially uh, as well. I don't know. Uh, I think it would be kind of cool. Obviously, uh, you're heavily involved with the Eagles who have uh, gone off uh, already uh, to your uh, start of your season. Potentially, could we see a, a senior game there as well? There's been talk. You know, again, the Stony Plain Eagles are a near and dear part of our group Uh both Dan and Lindsay played for the Eagles and was kind of the first team that they ended up purchasing and owning. So uh, we're hoping that we can work something out, but uh, it's funny, this rink is so busy. It's hard to get ice already. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're hoping that we can get something done here and get the Eagles in there and, and have an experience for, for our group and, um, and have some fun there too. Uh, you've uh, had a chance to play in a, a lot of different arenas and, and dressing rooms. Uh, the Saints uh, and the Crusaders are going to come into this building, uh, you know. And and you know, I had Chris Versteeg on this very show already say this building is nicer than a lot of junior buildings uh, in in the whole country. And he even said some NHL buildings as well. And he's been in a lot of them. So uh, you know, the Saints are going to walk into this, and the Crusaders, as you said. Um, how how nice is this compared to you know even some of the professional buildings and CIS uh, dressing rooms and buildings that you've played in? Yeah, I mean, just like Chris would say, uh, been in a lot of junior dressing rooms. Um, obviously, the legacy room at the Silent Ice Center is it's pro level. Um, it's it's got everything you could want. Uh, even the you know the other room where HC Edmonton is is currently in. Uh, it, again, a junior level minimum and minor pro level room. So um, these guys are going to walk in. They're going to feel like they're you know playing in a in a pro barn. That that's what it's going to feel like. Um, 
again, that center hung score clock changes everything, the in-house replay, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's uh, that's what you get. You play the Oil Kings down at Rogers. It's just a smaller scale. Um, so we have suites. We have, you know, the concourse level. Um, it, yeah, it's – they again, they thought of everything. Uh, these kids in minor hockey that get to play in there, they're certainly spoiled um, compared to some of the rinks that we all grew up playing in. Um, but you know what, that's what it's all about because again, they're, they're going to remember playing there for the rest of their lives. And, and, you know, those tournaments and the, the memories will last forever. Yeah. I literally grew up playing a mid season tournament in an arena called the barn because when it what didn't have ice in it, it literally housed cattle at the Keystone center in Brandon, Manitoba. So uh, th- you're exactly right. Uh, this place is spectacular. And, and it kind of brings me to my last question about the company that, that we work for that, that makes all this happen. I mean, every day something exciting and, and something beautiful happens. Uh, it's I've only been, there since June uh, and it's been so much fun but to see this built from the ground up and to be a part of it must be so exciting Chad yeah we often talk uh, me and Steven Gertzen Tyler Wolk we've kind of been here uh, the longest is coming seven years now Uh, and when we started we were all kind of in one little office and and that's what you know Silent Ice was and obviously with the guidance of Dan and Lindsay and Mark Cronowet and the other group, uh, Jeff Suggett. Um, yeah, to see where it's come in seven years, you know, two years, five years is incredible. Um, that's just a testament to, you know, the leadership. Uh, they're passionate about the game of hockey. They want to give back. Um, there's not too many uh, individuals that are, you know, personally financing uh, arenas and facilities like this to to be able to be accessible to the public um, from the grassroots level to beer league hockey, you know, so um, it's really special to be part of a group like this. You know, they do love the game and that's entirely what this is all about. It's giving back. Um, it's, it's giving kids the tools to realize their dreams, uh, make core memories um, so it's, yeah, it, it's been a really amazing process over these seven years. And, and, and as like you said yourself in the last year, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's exciting because what does the next year, what does the next seven look like here uh, at Silent Ice? And I can only imagine what it'll look like just because what we've seen now, it's just every week there's something new and then keeps your job exciting. You know, like there's nothing mundane about Silent Ice. Yeah, exactly. Nothing quiet, uh, definitely, about Silent Ice. And Brandon and Wancheshen and I have the conversation weekly about, you know, what is the next thing for us? Because we get so excited when we have something more. And, and you know, I, 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 I can't even imagine what it'll be like when, you know, we're celebrating the 20th anniversary or something, which you guys are doing right now with the Saints. And, uh, you know, the 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 LeCelts and Dan and Lindsay having such a big hand in making that team uh, what it is. So uh, I can't imagine what it'll be like 20 years from now uh, when we're celebrating something like you guys are right now. But it's going to be fun on the 28th of November, Chad, uh, the Saints uh, and Spruce Grove. And, and people can uh, still get their tickets at the Saints website uh, normally with all that. And, and I, I think there's actually shuttles that'll be taking people from Grant Fuhr Arena. I saw some posters. So uh, a lot of things being taken care of to get people to the south side for this game 
Yeah, tickets can be purchased right online, tickets.sprucegrovesaints.ca. Um, just a, it's a general admission event. It's a new arena, so it hasn't been mapped for seating yet. So uh, the, the seating tickets that you might receive are associated with the Grand Fear Arena just because the arena is so new. But, so those won't be valid uh, at the Silent Ice Center uh, in the Hatch Arena. But uh, certainly you can get those tickets that will get you into the game. Uh, there's ample seating, there's ample standing room, there's drink rail around the entire building. Um, there's not a bad seat in the house there, so uh, don't be upset if you don't have a seat number. Uh, I promise you, you'll, you'll have a good time. And um, yeah, it's there's two fan buses, one at 5.30 and one at 6, leaving from Spruce Grove. Obviously, we want to take care of uh, you know the greatest fans in the AJHL. It's an off-site game, uh, so we want to make sure they're all there to cheer on us to hopefully beat the crusaders they got a good team this year and they've uh they got us uh in the first leg so we're hoping to return the favor down at the silent ice center and uh, get back in the wind column against the crusaders looking forward to it chad uh, it's going to be a really fun night uh, the atmosphere at the grant fear arena is always great and this one uh, will be just as good i can't wait for it thanks so much for joining us here on game changers and enjoy the rest of our busy season thanks so much for having me we'll see you soon and as Chad mentioned, you can get tickets for that game at the Spruce Grove Saints website. Uh, the Saints are home to Calgary on Friday, then in Black Falls on Saturday this weekend. Brandon Ewan Cheshin will have all the action for you on the Saints radio network. And then Sherwood Park comes to the Silent Ice Center November 28th. Uh, that is going to be a fun one, 7 p.m. start uh, get your tickets at the Spruce Grove Saints website. Meanwhile, Seattle uh, will continue action this week as well. Uh, the T-Birds will host Kelowna on tonight, actually. Uh, then they'll play host to Saskatoon on Friday and make the six-hour drive to Kelowna uh, for a road game on Saturday. And you can get all those details at chl.ca-whl. Thunderbirds. That is pretty cool. Uh, but there is also a rising star when it comes to the women's hockey game. Get to know the name Nella because you are going to be hearing, and maybe you already have, a lot about this youngster from Slovakia. The women's game is in great hands. We'll chat with a two-time Gold medalist right now, turned analyst, Cheryl Pounder, joins the show. Cheryl, thanks so much for joining us on uh, Game Changers. Uh, I guess I want to start with the, the rivalry series that uh, has started already for this year between Canada and the U.S. And just how important it is to grow the game of hockey to have a series like this every year. I think it's unbelievable. And I think the biggest thing there is the visibility of it, right? So you've got one of the greatest rivalries in all of sport in Canada and the United States, and it's best on best. And so many people love to see best on best, whether it's men or it's women, any sport, because it's the best there is. And so when the rivalry series started, that's what it was all about. It was all about getting that best on best. 
making it visible. And then of course, getting people in the building to let them see the best on best performances of some of the best players in the world. And so for me, it goes to different communities, which I think is critical. It goes to different communities where often they have minor hockey organizations and they really try and generate a ton of interest around it. And of course, in Canada, it's always electric. It's coming to Kitchener and Sarnia in December. So really looking forward to that. But I think the biggest thing for me is is allowing it to garner a little bit of momentum. And that's what it does. And everyone sees the product, they love it. And, and that's what it's all about. Cause they always say, if you drink the Kool-Aid and you like it, guess what, you keep drinking it. And I think that's the big thing, getting people in the building coming from uh, Tempe as well as LA, it wasn't as big there, but that's also about growing, growing the game, right? Getting people to, to see it for the first time for some and for others, they love to come back anytime it's in their communities. So for me, the visibility piece would probably be the biggest thing. And then of course, these women actually playing games. I think that's been a big part over the last few years without a professional league or sort of one unified league, um, if you will, that a lot of these athletes weren't playing consistently. So the rivalry series was something that everyone looked forward to. And I know that I continue to look forward to it and continue to broadcast it into uh, 23 or 24, because there's a great series that's going to happen uh, through Saskatchewan into Minnesota to cap it all off. And, and it's important to grow the game for young girls to see the best players in the game going at it and say, that's a stage uh, I want to get to. And, uh, for the young Canadian fans, it's deja vu all over again because the series started the same way it did last year where Canada had to storm back and win four in a row. Uh, what about the first two games this year? Were they similar to last year? Is, you know, Canada uh, has another uphill climb here. Oh, they do have an uphill climb, although, they, like you said, they were able to do the reverse sweep and, and, and win straight games to clinch the series. But for me, the United States in particular in the second game in L.A., they just... They were fast. They were hard on the puck. They had a lot of uh, familiar faces in terms of players that have come out of the NCAA or within the NCAA right now who have had some games under their belt to start the season, and they really showed it. I mean, they were fast. They were free, creative. And the United States typically have had a very good transition game, so they've always looked fast. And I felt they looked incredibly in sync uh, John Robleski, their head coach, was very happy with their second game in particular because they were very strong on the puck as well. And the Canadians spent a lot of time in their own zone, but they spent time in their own zone and they were forced turnovers because the Americans were so heavy on the wall below the goal line. And then if you give them the puck, if they're able to retrieve it, guess what? They're going to make some magic happen. And Aaron Frankel between the pipes, uh, getting a good one in their first game. Um, in the first game of this series, I think she made 35 saves. So a lot going on there, but I think there's some a lot of youth coming up. Um, the skill set within the game is just absolutely incredible. The way these women shoot the puck but some of the old familiar names and I, I say old but I mean that lightly players like Hillary Knight oh they they were dominant in the series and one thing that John Robleski had talked to us about was the fact that he when he's choosing his team as he looks ahead to the Olympics in in, in Milan is that he wants to ensure that there's an upward trajectory so that his young players are doing this and at the very least his older players are plateauing, not on the decline. And so that was pretty interesting to me because he is quite young. He does have a lot of youth and skill, but that was his mandate now that he has sort of signed that contract as the bench boss through the Olympics uh, in 2026. So a lot to look forward to. I'm telling you, you say visibility. It reminds me of 
2002. Now that I'm broadcasting, so many of these women watched it for the first time after the Olympic Winter Games in 02. And so I go into their bio sometimes and I'm looking at it and I'm like, their dream was born there. Their dream was born watching in 02. And so for me, that's how empowering the visibility can be. It might be one moment that you have your aha moment if you're a young girl or a young boy watching the game. Could be an adult parent, grandparent, where you make that connection. So to me, that visibility is is critical. Yeah, it's that's why it's so important to get the best players uh, on the world stage. And, and when you talk about national teams, I, I'm always fascinated, no matter what sport or, or what gender, as players age, how does that national team handle? Okay, we've got a veteran player. Do we keep them uh, for community? Do we want to bring somebody in? That's not an easy task. And people always say, oh, it's an all-star team. You could throw Canada and U.S. You have to have the right chemistry. We've seen terrific national teams uh, in all sports, you know, absolutely flop because the chemistry wasn't right. And managing the the veterans and the youngster balance is a huge part of national teams, isn't it? Oh, it's a huge part of any team, Dean. You know, think about it, you know, trade deadliners. All of a sudden you bring yeah. in a guy, a rental, right? And, and it doesn't, it just doesn't work. And you think that that fit is perfect. You're like, oh, that's going to work on that line. And, and there's reason why there's pairings on lines that you're like, wow, you know, he's not as skilled to be on that line, but man, does it ever work? And so it's, it's very similar with a national team. The, the difference is, is that in non-centralization years, so when you're not living and training full-time together, you have to be able to bring someone in to be able to work right away. So that puzzle piece doesn't have the luxury of time. And so when you're in a shorter term tournament, it just, it has to work. So often coaches tend to go with what they know. And this is great sort of, can be great in the short term, but not as great in the long term. Because for me, you know, there are a number of young athletes that are out there that don't necessarily get a sniff. They might come to a rivalry series and they get, you know, under 10 minutes and they get one of the two games. And I'm sitting there going, well, how are you ever going to see? How are you going to figure this out? Experience is getting in those games, making those mistakes and learning. But sometimes they're not afforded that opportunity more than that one time because it's because their window uh, and they don't have that sort of the, the longevity of, of, of a long training camp or evaluation process. Uh, over the course of a year whereby they can do it. So so for me, it's it's a delicate balance. I, I do think the Americans are, are younger in terms of that and Canada's held on to some of theirs even longer. But then you do look at someone like Hillary Knight and she's still there, she's growing, she's developing. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting, interesting piece because when you have pieces like Brianne Jenner and mm-hmm. Poulin and you know that they go together, yeah. you know that... You might split them up, but you know in a, in a crunch or if you're down a goal, you can throw them together. It's real difficult to mess with that kind of chemistry. But the other side of it is there's a lot of young girls out there that are or young women, shall I say, that are very, very talented that may be able to get into that mix. They just need more of an opportunity to, to show you um, in time to be able to read off of players like that. Because as you know, some of the best in the world, they're, they're sometimes difficult to play with because they, they're so creative that you also have to be sort of on that same mindset and mind frame to know where they're going to be and how to get them the puck. 
Uh, totally. It's uh, it's not just putting two, you know, a, a guy who has a lot of assists and a guy who has a lot of goals or a girls uh, together and saying, oh, they're going to no. be perfect chemistry. It, it sometimes, it, you know, it's it's just yeah. sometimes uh, surprises you how the how the chemistry comes together. Uh, we should never be surprised about the intensity between Canada and the U.S. Uh, we could play tic tac toe and it would be an intense rivalry. Um, but how about the rest of the world? Are we starting to see and and you would see it no matter who you were playing, they would get up against Canada and the U.S. would get the same. Um, getting excited and competing are two different things. Are we starting to see that intensity uh, increase and, and the competition increase against some of the other top countries in the world as well? Well, I think the biggest thing, it, it takes time, right? It takes time. So I, I'm going to go to our U18 and, and have a look there because anytime I'm looking at sort of what's at the senior level, you got to look at what's underneath it. And so what are the players like there and, and, and do they have the capability um, and the trajectory to be efficient on their national team? So you go to the, the most recent world championship, uh, U18 world championship, where Sweden played in the final. And yes, it was a blowout by the time, you know, that happened in the final, but they got there. You know, the Americans did not make that final game. So you look at players, right? Like, like Mary Yangakar on the back end. I mean, she's just so agile and she can manipulate the blue line. She's got a bomb of a shot, um, physical. She's got that physical element. And so now all of a sudden you feel that success on the international stage at that U18 level. And then now you're up with the senior team. It is a little bit different, but you've competed with Canada underneath. So there's that feeling like we can, we can do this. And so I, I do think that a team like Sweden who you know, was was great in 2006 and then dropped off the map. Of course, we played them in the final uh, in Turin, Italy, and then dropped off the map. I think we're starting to see a little bit of uptick as former athletes are getting involved in their programming and different coaching. And then, of course, I'm always uh, a proponent of Finland. I think that they've got some of the best players in the world and they've got some really good youth um, that presents uh, a ton of speed. And And their coaches always said that they, they've always had, you know, a line or even two lines that can compete against the best in the world. And, and now, of course, um, they believe that they've got secondary to be able to help that and facilitate that. And I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about our bronze medalist in Czechia, right? Uh, Carla McLeod working her magic as a coach there who will now be a bench boss for the PWHL in Ottawa. And just the strategy she has and how she gets the confidence out of every athlete on her bench. And what I mean by that is in the, in the last two world championships, I've had the opportunity to call with Kenzie Lalone. We've witnessed sort of a change. So the first period against the U.S., you know, Czechia, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed. And she, she calls that time out just has them take a breath. And then they start to climb a little bit. You can start to see the belief in their puck possession and not just throwing it away. And so I think a lot of that will really matter as some of her athletes are now coming into this professional league uh, and will have the opportunity to play day in and day out in it. So, so I think there's a, a lot of pieces there, but Czechia is certainly an up and comer because they've gotten a taste of that success um, being bronze medalist back to back. So I, I think there's some real good stuff there, but I think all the time we look at Canada, the United States, but remember it's a tournament and it's one game. Yeah. And when you get and, to one game, yeah. it, things can happen. Totally. And and I had the privilege of covering the SO Cup uh, last year in uh, Prince Albert. And, you know, you're right. right. The the youth for Canada is in good hands as, as we continue to produce good players that 
uh, will will go on to play in the uh, PWHL or or for the uh, national team. And uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the future of the game and, and not mention a certain Slovakian star. Oh, and, uh, I know where you're going. And uh, Nella uh, Lopasunova. And and I'll just throw some highlights uh, up here as as you talk about this youngster who is really uh, thanks to social media really given the women's game a boost and and set the game on fire with some of her incredible play. Yeah, I mean, you talk about game changer. Uh, Nella Pushinova is a game changer. And during this championship, we we did a top five of her goals. I mean, I, it was a highlight reel. And, and normally, you know, you might have a game in a, a tournament or a goal in a tournament where you're like, that was pretty dang good. Well, I, I'm telling you, she just kept going. She just kept going, whether it was the Michigan or or whether, you know, she was she was walking or dancing around someone. And and what she did for her country is, is she kind of put them on the map in terms of her playing for her country. And what I mean by that is, you know, her organization, her team she was playing for, the franchise started to sell her jersey. And it's funny because at trade, I think it was trade deadline. Craig Button comes on the set and he's like, Pounder, I got something for you. And I was like, what, what? It's this green jersey. And it was Nellis. And I thought, how amazing is this? That we're not just talking about someone from Canada or the United States. That we're going outside the box here. And we're talking about an elite talent who's going to be an absolute difference maker on the international stage. And think about the visibility as she comes into her own. The visibility of the, of the young girls in Slovakia who can watch her compete, watch her play. They know her name. All of a sudden she's branded and guess what? Now all of a sudden people are inspired and that's exactly what she did at the U18. She inspired with her skill set. And I'm telling you, I'm glad I didn't have to play against her because (laughs) she would have dangled. And I was a stay-at-home defender and I played against some greats like Natalie Darwitz and Chrissy Wendell, but man, oh man, She's got a real gift. I remember this one with with the Michigan. She comes around. No one was really expecting it. She sees the goaltender. She sees the the shoulder drop. And she says, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give that a shot. And and she puts it in. So I think the highlight reel for her is going to continue on and on, Dean. Um, Just, I mean, she isn't even close to her potential. Think about the, the training from a physical element that she can do uh, in the next few years to make her stronger. And think about if her first few strides are are just a little more powerful, what she can do. So to me, it's pretty incredible uh, what we're seeing with her. Look at that, I'll just pluck it up, turn the hands over, flip it top shutter. I mean, unbelievable to have that wherewithal. And you know what? I remember saying on the broadcast, it was a right play. Yeah. And when we did the top five, I said it was a right play. You know, that there wasn't a moment where she could have moved that puck to the middle of the ice where someone was in a better spot and she recognized the coverage and she made him pay. So I think it's pretty exciting. And uh, I think she's just an electric player who's only going to get better. And of course, she's in North America right now uh, following her studies there. So I think a lot of people are getting more familiar with her and what she brings on a daily basis. I, th- I think you nailed one thing there. The Michigan now is no longer a showboat play. It's a yeah. skill play. It's no different than guys going between their legs or girls going between their legs and scoring. So I think it's great. And the other thing, I kind of look at a Gretzky effect here with her in that when Wayne Gretzky was traded to L.A., hockey exploded. Hockey is going to explode uh, in Slovakia on the women's game when they are seeing her highlights ahead of some of the, I mean, she had uh, a better year than Slavkovsky did against the men in, in one of the leagues that she played in. I mean, well, this, I, I think this game is going to explode because of her in Europe. 
Well, and you, and you said it earlier with the visibility of her, people know her name. Mm -hmm. And how important is that? If you know someone's name, whether it's Poulin, whether it's Lepushinova, whether it's Hillary Knight, you tune in because you've heard, you've heard that, you know, there's a talent there and you want to see it. So this is very exciting for, for me, who's been in the game for a number of years, but to see it from the context of Slovakia, it's not Finland, it's not Sweden, right? Yes. And, and so now the, the young girls that say, I, I want to I play like Nella. And, and that's where you get the buzz. That's where all of a sudden, you know, you start to garner momentum because let's face it, you've got to increase your grassroots numbers if you want growth, if you want development. And so I think that's a critical piece is that when you have one of your own, especially with when you're talking about national teams and there's such a sense of pride around the jersey and putting it on. And when you can identify that with a particular player, like I think about my daughters, they have a favorite player, you know, on, on the national team. Uh, I had a favorite player or you have a favorite player on a team. And in the women's game, we haven't known those franchises and other organizations outside of our, you know, our two countries or outside of, you know, Canada and the United States. So now all of a sudden people say Slovakia is playing. They're like, oh, Nella. And, and that's the, the, the hook, line and sinker. That's, that's the, you know, let's, let's get them. And then she's, she's going to show you, she's going to show you a talent that you're going to come back for him because it's going to make you smile. It's going to make you go, yeah, like she's yeah. got it. And so you're right. I think uh, there was nothing more exciting. I know Kenzie and I were just thrilled like to be putting these top fives together for TSN Sports Center, where she was the top of the show. But think about that in North America at a U18 Women's Hockey Championship. And she is the top of the show. She is the highlight. She is our intermission. She is. And I think, that is such a huge, huge piece. And I, I think she actually went into one of our NHL broadcasts in the intermission because we wanted to highlight yeah. what was happening over in Europe during that championship and some of the new stars that we could align ourselves with and some uh, of the other youth watching that could align themselves with. So, you know, the guys knew her name by the end of that. And they were like, this kid is awesome. And I think that's infectious. Um, and I think that it keeps keeps eyes on the women's game and when you have a talent like that and when you have a talent like that you showcase it yeah she she's gonna be known as just nella it's gonna be like first name uh basis and well, it's way are... easier to say to nella isn't it it is. I think we're going to see Nella shirts everywhere, right? It's 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 it, yeah. it is. It's amazing, and she's going to be you know front and center at some point. I'm guessing in the uh, professional women's hockey league, which you know I think we should uh, spend some time on. She she will you know the teams must be drooling already. She's in the United States, but this league is starting to grow. And and you mentioned it before about there were leagues, but there was always. Um, I don't know, just a separation. It's like when the NFL and the AFL were separate or whatever. Now we have one league. We have proper backing. I mean, the buzz in the hockey world for this, you, you tell me what it's like because uh, I'm excited about it. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see teams maybe get out West and things like that. But tell me about the buzz for the PWHL right now. Oh, September 18th is what I'm going to go back to. The draft day. Dean, I, I like had tears and I know that sounds kind of cheesy and whatever. It's just when you've been part of the game for so long and you love it, you love it. And you, you coach in it, your daughters play it and you know 
what the potential is for the women. You know how well they developed and how the game has grown and changed in terms of its skill set. And now there's finally an opportunity. And what I mean finally, and yes, there's been the PHF um, did a great job and as well as the CWHL, but I'm talking about a backing of, you know, how many dollars and, a, you know, not a splintered league, but a unified league and to have the resources. And this is the biggest thing for me is the resources and platform available to be able to make it visible. So buildings that suit the women's game at this moment to present vibe and energy. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of surreal for me. I, I did say on the broadcast that I felt like pinching myself. I, I love the fact that it was on all the media platforms on that day to really get it out there. And, and it went out and it went out hard. And there were alumni coming through the building and not alumni national team members, but alumni who, who I skated with growing up, who came just to see it happen. Just, just to be there in that moment and say, it's here. And, and that for me was just so empowering. And then to see the women come in on the carpet and just the, the, the you know, the euphoric look, like the glow, like, you know, when, when people are just so intrinsically happy that there's a glow that they give off a glow and and everyone i mean the vibe the energy it gives me chills because it was the glow and so now that it's happened and these women have the facilities to train the facilities to get the proper treatments the the focus the their primary focus being their job to play the game they love and do you know to perform uh, at a best on best clip to me, that's, you know, that, that is, that has been the dream. Um, and so they're, they're, they're about to live it. And I just think it's, it's, it's unbelievable that there are now, there's now going to be an opportunity to watch it day in, day out. And so I'm always encouraging, um, athletes, parents, grandparents, whatever, buy a ticket, get in the building, make your own decision as to whether you like it or not, give it a shot um, because these women are now not leaving the game in their prime. And I think that's a big thing for me, you know, coming out of college, coming out of school, we're not losing our highly educated players to a job because they can't, you know, they, they can't just play, they have to work. And so now their focus can be on playing in their prime and developing. And I think you're going to see the product escalate as well, which is something that I know that I'm very excited for, as well as all the people I'm around are, are very excited for. So very passionate about it. Uh, very, very excited about it. And it's a long-term vision, right? It's not like, you know, they've come in and said, all right, if this doesn't work in two years, we're done. It's like, there's an understanding that this is a process. Um, and, you know, there's a vision that's long-term to give it the greatest opportunity to be successful yeah and, and and people are getting involved i mean brian burke to me uh is one of the nicest yeah. men that i've had a chance to ch chat with he comes across as a very gruff uh exterior <laughs> but man he cares about the game at every level uh and every gender and and to, to be able to have him involved i think must be a, a big thing for this league and 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 knowing that people aren't just saying Oh yeah, there's that league over there. They're saying we're getting involved in this league over there because it has the best players in the world. 
and 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 that's what you need because you know he's he's well known obviously for what he's done in the men's game and he's got a strong voice and a personality that he can bring to the game and he's got the experience to go with it and so you know you got the pedigree you got the experience and so now all of a sudden you know you you want to be taken seriously because you are serious and so you have someone like brian burke lend themselves to it and, and want to see it succeed and, and lend their expertise to the game uh knowledge advice all of that stuff and it, it just becomes it's it becomes so critical because not only do you get buy-in from everyone around him but he's he's put his stake in the ground um and said these women deserve the opportunity they're great athletes uh, they need the facilities they need the resource this is what they need i've seen it on the other side this is what they need to be successful so to me it's um it's always about the, the people surrounding uh you that help you be successful and you look at the people that have been put in place the the gms of the teams and the coaches of the teams that there's experience uh the qualified nature of it um to put their their franchises their their organizations their teams in the best position uh to to be successful and, and see it uh really resonate within the communities that they're in so uh yeah i think it's great and the personnel the people i mean you need good people you need qualified people um you don't just need anyone you need qualified people um that have the brain and the acumen to to be difference makers uh within the game and uh, i think they've done a good job and and now it's that there's an equal dream i mean you said it before uh young girls would get uh, to a certain age and be like, okay, I, I guess I'm done. And now yep. there's an equal dream of I can play professionally just like my brother yep. or just like my cousin or just like my husband or whatever it might be. Right. I want to yep. be at the top level, which is how it should be. And it, and it, and we're getting there. So I, I love right. it. And I, I just think it's, it's overdue, honestly. Well, I, I mean, I had conversations with Jana years ago and I've had conversations every year and it, I was getting fatigued to be truthful. I was getting frustrated, fatigued like everyone else. Um, but there had been no, no further growth. And I would have argued, you know, a year ago, a couple of years ago that, you know, were we, are we better off than we were when I finished playing in 2008? Like, are we better off, you know? And so, because you know, we had parody and we had, you know, yeah, we paid to play and yeah, we did this and yeah, but are we any steps closer? I thought we would have been so much closer by now. So I think there was a lot of frustration as we've gone, but then you think about the galvanized group of the women that took a strong stance in this, um, put their careers on hold since 2019 um, to really, to push for, you know, a, a league that they thought would be viable um, and something that would have all of the, um, as I mentioned earlier, the resources to, to be able to, to be professional and be paid uh, consistently. And so, you know, they, they sacrificed a lot. And so for when it happened, I was not, I was so, so happy, but again, I think all that frustration just lifted because, and that was that kind of moment on September 18th where I just had to step back and go, ah, like, finally, like yeah. it, it happened. Like, am I really here that it's happened? Because there's just been so, it's just been so polarizing the last few years. Um, and at the end of the day, you, you always want people to be able to play the game that they love and play the highest level that they can play. And, you know, tough decisions are made along the way. But for me, it was more about like, okay, finally, like we're, there's, 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 there's movement and it's happening. So I just, like I've said to my daughters, if you want to cheer for Aaron Ambrose or Natalie Spooner, you can cheer for day in, day out now, or if you want to cheer for, 
you know, William Nylander or Kale McCarr, like you can, you have a choice. Yes. And that is the biggest thing for me as a coach in the female game. You know, I can call up clips from their games. I can call up clips from the NHL games and I can call up clips from the PWHL and let them decide who they want to go back to. And I think that's pretty, pretty phenomenal. Yeah, that is uh, beautiful. Cheryl, this has been so much fun. Uh, I'd love to get you back and dive into your both of your careers, your playing career and now your broadcasting career, because I think oh, yeah. uh, you do a, a hell of a job on uh, on the broadcasts. And uh, I know you. uh, your uh, work with Craig Button, who I've had a chance to work with, and uh, there's not really many nicer people than Craig. So uh, I, uh, I love the job that you guys do, and I'd love to get you back and talk a little bit more about your careers. Yeah, I would love it, Dean. Thank you so much. And we do have to give a shout out to Craig because I'll tell you what, he's answered the call anytime, especially at the junior level when he knows those players so well. And I give him a call and I'm like, so Craig, what, you know, what do you think of, uh, of this player? And he just, you know, he gives you, he doesn't give you Cole's notes. Let's put it that way. He gives you all the notes. And so, you know, I always say it's about surrounding yourself with incredible people um, that, that have your back. And this is a guy that just, he wants the people he's around to be successful and, and he, he provides the best environment he possibly can for them. So he's a pretty amazing guy. Yeah, like a good teammate should be. And uh, I'd imagine yeah. that's exactly how you are as well, Cheryl. Thanks so much for joining me on Game Changers, and we'll chat soon. Thanks, Dean. Silent Ice TV is home to the JPHL, the HSL, special events like the Winter Championship, the Challenge Cup, and the Morinville Jets as well. Watch live games or catch up on what you missed, plus... This show, Game Changers, and more great content produced by For Vengeance Media. Uh, the website that you need is silenticetv.com. Check it out. Find all the great action you need. And uh, as I tweeted out the other day, just get out to a live rink and watch a game of hockey at a high level. If you can, sit close to the glass because you'll never believe how fast it is. And then go sit up high and see how much you can see. Loved our guest list today. Uh, we had a two-time Olympic gold medalist. We had a two-time Stanley Cup champion and the director of sales and marketing at Silent Ice Sports and Entertainment. Of course, the huge game coming up November 28th at Silent Ice Center, the Spruce Grove Saints taking on the Sherwood Park Crusaders. Thank you very much for joining us here on Game Changers, home of hockey a For Vengeance media production on Silent Ice TV. Until then, it's always a good time to double pad stack. I'll see you in the ring.